Well, good morning. Sorry I was being all antisocial this morning. Got uh, Wednesday afternoon, I got hit with a cold, and I thought I was doing good yesterday, and then I woke up, or I thought I was doing good on Friday, and I woke up Saturday, and I was like, ugh, not very good. So I don't want to share. Didn't Dylan do a great job last week? Man, he should have been preaching this week so I could have this week off since I was sick. We didn't time that very well, did we? Man, he did a great job. I was uh, really, um, yeah, I kind of cut you off. You can give him a round of applause. He did a great job, yeah. I was uh, really trying to encourage him this week, like, you might want to think about ministry. You know, he's, he's thinking more like, no, I'm going into the oil field in a couple months and like, man, we don't have enough skilled men who love the Lord that, uh, that are doing this. You, you, should really, uh, you should really pray about this a little more, maybe. So maybe if you want to encourage him along those lines. <clears throat> so this last couple of weeks, we've been, uh, we've been learning and looking at, uh, at what Solomon has been teaching us through uh, this very unique book of Ecclesiastes, where, where King Solomon, he shares with us his observations for finding fulfillment in this life. And he starts off trying to, he starts off trying to live life to, to the fullest. He gets a really good job in the oil industry and, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll, I'll behave. He, he's trying to find meaning for life, uh, and he's trying to find meaning for life in pleasures and in power and knowledge. He, he's pursuing wealth and, and, and that, that way of finding meaning for his life. And so today we're going to finish up this series in Ecclesiastes called Eclipse, where we're trying to find meaning in the desert, and we're going to call this message Living It Up. So when I was when I, when I graduated high school and I was, I was no longer a, a, a ward of the state, my, po- my foster parents didn't have control over me. They let me go run free uh, to pursue all of my chasing after wind and a career in baseball. Um, and once I was on my own, once I was doing this, I had no accountability and I just started living it up. I was making uh, choices that I knew were probably not really great at the time, but I was like, hey, you know, it makes me happy. If, if, it, if it makes me happy, it can't really be that bad, right? Right? Like, if, I mean, God wants us to be happy. So we should just do what we want. Eventually, living that way led me to the realization that I was not very happy. And I was also not long for the college life, uh, it was way too expensive for a young adult who didn't have a job and uh, really wasn't there to attend class anyway. And I found out that I actually wasn't that good of a baseball player. So this wasn't uh, the path that I should be on. So I came back to Alaska. I got a job doing carpentry in Anchorage as a young adult, learning carpentry. And, and uh, I was there in, living with no direction. And I began to... Uh, Pursue just living for the weekend. I thought you guys were like excited about what I was saying, but you're just excited about the baby. I'm, I'm really excited that there's a baby in the room though. No, that's good. Uh, I was like, man, Alan really is paying attention this morning. 
So I began to live for the weekend and pursue what this world had to offer. And I found myself entangled in the allure of fleeting indulgences and temporary escapes from reality. And I began to chase everything that seemed like maybe this could bring a little thrill to me. And I began to seek finding fulfillment in places that I now know could never actually bring fulfillment. I was empty and disillusioned. And I had no substantial meaning in my life. One morning I woke up to the voice of God calling me out of my vain pursuits of the wind. And I immediately uh, got out of the situation I was in and I got on a course that changed the trajectory of my life. But as I struggled through that next season of life, I found myself just being constantly disappointed. Because life, it didn't seem to be what I wanted it to be. Life seemed like a bitter pill and it was just disappointing at every turn. What do we do when, when we wake up and we realize none of this looks like what I wanted for my life. None of this is what I would have dreamed for myself. How, how do we keep going when everything's just disappointing? When the circumstances of our life leave us disappointed? Where do we turn when losses seem so big that we just couldn't bear to take another step forward? Maybe if we take a moment and just evaluate where we are in lives. In our lives, we would say, you know, this is actually not where I thought I would be. Maybe this isn't what I expected. Maybe this isn't what I would have planned for myself. You know, your past expectations, they'll only feed to current disappointment and frustration for your life today. But if you've been doing this adulting thing for very long, if you've been doing this for more than a few days, you've likely come to know that it's not all a fairy tale. Like disappointments in this life are inevitable. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So how do we try to make sense of the desert places we find ourselves in? See, more often than not, we cannot actually control everything surrounding our lives, no matter how hard we try. We experience discouragements daily. Like maybe you had an argument with your spouse on the way here. Like I've done that. I've gone to church and fought with my wife all the way to church and then had to stand up and preach to a room full of people. Life can be disappointing sometimes. Like, that's not where I want to find myself. I'm like, oh, I need to go and I need to pray right now. We experience life-altering defeats. Unfortunately, there's things in our world like death and divorce, and they leave us disappointed. They can leave us feeling broken. So how do we find meaning in our life when it seems to be just constantly kicking us? How can we possibly live it up 
when we find ourselves in a desert place. See, Solomon, he seems to have written the book of Ecclesiastes for just this type of occasion, for just that moment when we feel we are at our wit's end and we're frustrated and we're wondering, how could this life possibly bring me any satisfaction? Near the end of Solomon's life, picture him as an old man sitting down with his pen. We could assume he sits there He's thinking like, man, life just did not turn out the way that I thought it was going to when I asked the Lord to give me all the wisdom of the world. Like he was the most wise king ever. Next to Jesus, he was probably the most wise man who ever lived. Life seems to have started off well for him. But even with all his wisdom, he was not able to overcome the lust for power and pleasure. As he, uh, as he took for himself a thousand women into his harem. And because these women that he took into his harem, because they worshiped false gods, he let his heart be turned away from God. He let his heart be drawn into the false demonic worship that was around him. And he lost his intimacy. He lost relationship with God. And he began to pursue a meaning for life in all the wrong places. He sought to have riches and popularity. He sought meaning in the completion of great projects. He wanted women and wine, and all the pleasure that the world had to offer. And he says he tried everything under the sun. Everything that was available to him, he took it. But when he got old, when he reached the twilight of his life, he looked back and he said, oh, vanity, vanity. It was all vanity, and I have made a mess of my life. And probably with a, a feeling of deep regret, I think Solomon begins to write all of his life accomplishments in this book so that those of us who may encounter this book before we reach the end can learn from Solomon and we can repent from our vain pursuits. Solomon says that at the end of it all, at the very end, this is the whole thesis of his, of his uh, writing. At the end of it all, this is what I've learned. Here's my... Here's my honest evaluation uh, for trying to find fulfillment in this life under the sun. That true life, it begins with a life that is lived in relationship with God. And that, if you look, uh, if you look through this book, you'll see that that is what is veiled throughout the chapters of Ecclesiastes. And throughout the chapters of Ecclesiastes, he's slowly revealing that more and more until you get to chapter 12, verse 13, where Solomon summarizes all of his findings by saying, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Like I've literally written down everything that I could possibly tell you, all the wisdom of the world. This is the end of it. Fear God and keep his commandments, 
for this is the whole duty of man. The summary and conclusion of the whole of Solomon's life, he now offers it to you. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole of what your life is for. To obey God is to truly be human. And throughout this book, Solomon, he investigates the whole situation of mankind. And now this is his final conclusion for man's purpose. It's to be in relationship to and to submit to God. This is the idea of fearing God. It's what Solomon has been peeling back the layers from, from since, chapter, since about chapter three. In chapter three, verse 14, he says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Solomon had just gone through in this context, the whole observation that God has created a world where we are governed by seasons of time, which that connects to the creation account. He said he put the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky for times and seasons to govern what you do with your life. You may be in a season of planting, maybe next month, right? You may be in a season of planting. A few months after that, there's gonna be a season of harvesting. Maybe you're in a season of new life and new birth, or maybe you're in a season of death. We are all constrained by these boundaries of time and we live in an uncertain life that is beyond our control. Yet God has written eternity on our hearts and he is constantly at work behind the scenes, creating something that we get to be a part of. We're not the main character in the show. We're all side characters in his show. And he's creating something that will be extraordinarily beautiful. <clears throat> in chapter five, Solomon, he pulls back the curtain a little bit more in his revealing of the thesis for the meaning of life being found in the fear of God. And he says in chapter five, verse seven, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. Somebody said, amen, quit preaching. But God is the one you must fear. So Fools seek to advance themselves before God and they do it with great promises and vows. And now you're feeling guilty because we've all prayed that prayer. God, if you would just do this, I'll do this. Solomon says that's foolish. You just follow the Lord. You worship the Lord and let him handle the outcome. You live the abiding life and he will produce the fruit. You don't make vain, irrational promises that you're probably not gonna keep anyway. This is vanity. God is the one in whom you put your fear. Solomon is driving home this point that when you go to the house of worship, when you go before God, you must have a God-fearing attitude. Your heart should be in reverence to the Lord. 
Because a fool goes in to worship without fear. A fool does not prepare himself to be before God. A fool does not listen to the word of God. A fool does not do the word of God. Fear of God is crucial in our worship of him. And then in chapter seven, this obstruction that is causing the light to be eclipsed is moved a little bit further away. As Solomon tells us in verse 16, he says, be not overly righteous. Like you're not all that. Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So the warning not to be overly righteous or overly wise. It's not an exhortation to go ahead and do a little sinning. Solomon, what he's concerned with here is this philosophy of life that we tend to take on that like we seek all these benefits. uh, We seek prosperity and our personal happiness if we strictly obey uh, religious practices and wisdom principles. He's saying, no, that's dumb. You're trying to manipulate the system. That's not what I set up here. And don't be fanatical about your righteousness. Like, and this isn't also a permissive, uh, uh, you know, hey, your sin, as long as you just do it in moderation, it's okay kind of teaching. The implication here is that while we all experience some sin in our life, it's, in, it's inevitable. It's those who embrace evil and doing evil in their life, they will be destroyed by their sin. The two things that we have to maintain in this life are a devotion of, to God that is coupled with the teaching of wisdom and the enjoyment of the good gifts that God gives us in this life. Now, if you practice proper reverence of God, you'll have a perspective that despite the season of life you find yourself in, you'll have this heavenly perspective that no matter how barren the desert you find yourself in may seem, you can still be devoted to God and you can still find joy and enjoy your life. See, the way we approach God is reverential. It's to fear God. Not the way of being self-righteous, and not in the way of open rebellion. But the only way that we can truly approach God is when we fear him. Now, all along in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he's been, he's been pulling back this obstruction that eclipses us from the truth. And when we approach this, when we approach this world with this philosophical, how can I get satisfaction out of this life, this philosophical under the sun mindset, Solomon makes plain that it's vain, it's worthless. But the whole thesis is fear God. To find purpose and meaning in this life, you fear God. It's not just something that you hear from Solomon and Ecclesiastes either. 
Job reinforces this in his, uh, in his discourse about seeking wisdom. In Job chapter 28, verse, verse 28, Job said, uh, Job said that, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And, turn away from e- and to turn away from evil is understanding. You also hear this uh, from Solomon in his younger life. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, he said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And now you might be thinking like, well, fear of the God, that sounds kind of heavy. And that might have been, an old, that might have been a really good, important teaching uh, before we had the gospel. Like, but we're New Testament believers. You, know? you don't need to be laying that heavy stuff on us. We just need to love God, right? And we don't, we don't have to fear him. Besides, right, like the apostle John, the one whom Jesus loved, he said, uh, perfect love casts out all fear. So we don't have to fear anything. Well, you should wonder what the context is there. What kind of fear is the author talking about in these contexts? Because in the context of John's writing, when he says perfect love casts out all fear, it's the fear of judgment unto death. And because if you're here and you're a believer, if you put your faith in God and you've received new life by faith in Jesus, you don't need to fear judgment unto death. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that you don't have to show reverence to the Lord. It doesn't say that you don't have a relationship that fears God. In fact, the fear of God, it's not a concept that is only taught in the Old Testament. It's widely taught in the New Testament, which is, imp- which is important because as believers, we wanna sit under the whole counsel of the Lord We don't want to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. We actually want to have all the counsel of God. The New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. And if you properly understand the Old Testament, then you will have a greater understanding and a greater appreciation for the New Testament. Now let's look at the book of Acts. When the church was being multiplied and blessed, And God was greatly using these people under a time of great persecution. And it's because they feared the Lord. Listen to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Luke writes to us, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You ever think about God as a consuming fire? Like we mostly just, oh, Jesus is my boyfriend, you know? Jesus is my homeboy. Like that's not reverential. Like he is your friend. Jesus is your friend, but he is also God. And we have to keep that in mind. 
And that's true. Like, I don't, I don't live in fear of God. Not like, oh, if I come in here and I don't sing perfectly, thank God. Like if I don't come in here and I, and I sing the way that I sing, I know that God's not gonna send me to hell because I can't sing well. Now, some of you might be thinking, I wish that wasn't true, but um, it's okay, you can laugh. I know I'm talking about reverence, but God created humor. It wasn't funny, okay, my bad. <laughs> if I've given my life to Jesus, I'm not going to hell but I still come to God with fear and reverence because God is holy. If we're trying to gain a heavenly perspective to live by, then we know that we should not be irreverent concerning the Lord. Revelation chapter 15, verse three and four says, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the lamb saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the, might, the almighty. Just and true are your ways, O king of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Like, who will not fear God in heaven? Even in heaven, you will still fear the Lord. Not because like, oh, if I make a wrong move, he's gonna kick me out. But because he is God and you're not. Yes, we are cleansed and we are forgiven. We are redeemed by grace, but he is God and we are not. And God's word tells us to love God. And it, loving God is a huge piece of the puzzle. Throughout scripture, it says that we should love God about 88 times, and it's fairly balanced between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Bible teaches us to also trust God. Uh, we're taught to trust God about 91 different times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. 278 times does scripture tell us that we should fear God. So that's more than loving God and trusting God altogether. 235 times in the Old Testament, it says to fear the Lord, and 43 times in the New Testament. So it's absolutely tragic when believers who should be mature in Christ, they have this mindset that they can just flippantly show up and be casual with God because all we need to know is like, hey, Jesus loves me and everything's gonna be okay. And you know what? I love him. It... The more basic condition of the relationship is not love. It's fear, it's reverence, it's awe. Now I'm sure for some of you, like the first image like that comes to your mind when we talk about the fear of the Lord is something pretty scary. Like you probably get images of wrath and a blazing fire. Well, let me help you deepen your understanding on the fear of the Lord because it's not altogether that scary. The Hebrew word for fear is yara. And the whole phrase, fear of the Lord, it's pronounced yara yawa. We are to yara yawa. We are to fear Yahweh. 
Yahweh is the personal covenantal name of the Lord. So when you're looking through scripture, when you're in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and you see Lord and it's all capitalized, the Hebrew word that they're using there, the Hebrew name is Yahweh. And the first thing you have to know is that fear, this word fear, it leads to reverence for the Lord. And that reverence for the Lord, it paves the way for us to actually have an intimate relationship with the Lord. And I've taken the time to look up every instance of when the idea of fearing the Lord is used, which you know is a lot. And it comes down to three main responses to God. The fear of the Lord means that you give the Lord your complete and your undivided attention. According to David in Psalm 86, an undivided heart leads to the fear of the Lord. A heart totally devoted to God is a heart that is revering God. And that heart is experiencing relationship with him. What you fear is what grabs your attention for better or for worse. What you revere is what grabs your attention for better or for worse. Let's just say that one of my daughters, she had this relationship with spiders that caused her to be deathly afraid of them. And let's just pretend that a few nights ago that I was uh, playing a game in the living room with my kids and all of a sudden, uh, my seven-year-old daughter was in my lap screaming like she had a broken bone, causing me to be greatly concerned until I looked down on the floor and I saw this microscopic spider crawling across the floor. And now I know that's like a negative example uh, to make my point, but it was a cute one and it got some of you to pay attention to me again. Don't worry, I killed the spider too. I protected my little girl. God should have our unwavering attention. He should not become this fraction of our life. We show the fear of the Lord when we show him proper reverence, when he is in his proper place, when he is at the center of our lives. Recognize that he is the actual meaning and purpose for our life. The fear of the Lord isn't just trying to balance God amongst all the other priorities that we have. He's the center and everything else can find its orbit around him. He should take priority. Our lives, our families, our relationships, they're all healthier when we, when we do our part to lead them into a God-centered vision for life. The fear of the Lord means giving the Lord your unparalleled awe and wonder. Awe-inspiring is the, it's the sentiment that the sons of Korah were trying to convey when they wrote about the fear of the Lord in Psalm chapter 47. Our awestruck wonder is the highest form of worship from the Hebrew perspective. God wants to captivate us in a way that is far more emotive than just our mere 
intellectual assent of, yes, I believe that this is true. The many different usages of fear of the Lord are actually tapping into our emotions as humans. This should capture our awe. This should capture our heart so that when we see God for who he really is at the end of this life, when we see him face to face, when all is revealed to us and he is unveiled to us, we will truly be able to adore him. Awe comes from seeing how God has worked from Genesis to Revelation, from seeing how he's worked over the last 2,000 years of church history, how he is working in our lives currently and in the lives of those around you that should leave you in awe You should experience a state of wonder when you hear someone's testimony and the way that God's working in their life. We should be overwhelmed by how good, how powerful, how faithful our Lord is to us. One of the most helpful things that we can do to grow in our spiritual lives is to cultivate habits and rhythms where we are gazing upon the awe that God wants to give us. Like these babies. They're miraculous. They are awe-inspiring, right, Alan? Like, y'all need to have some more babies so we can have some more awe and wonder around here. I did my part. (laughs) Thanks, brother. The fear of the Lord means giving your uncompromising loyalty to God. When Moses told the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 10 that God required only that... um, that the fear of the Lord, the, uh, that you fear the Lord your God, it was a call to a loyalty to God that they had never experienced before. This is a total commitment to God, involving all of your heart, all of your soul. Fearing God leads to loyalty and obedience. It gives us a resolve to stay the course, to stay faithful, because we know about, we know that God is faithful and true. So we can return that to him when he gets our allegiance. We should give him our allegiance more than we give other people and other places and other things our allegiance. Oftentimes, the problem we have is that we give, we give uh, our earthly fears so much more weight than what they really deserve. We give more weight to the bigness of the circumstances that we find ourselves in than we do to the bigness of our God. Whether they're motivated by panic or fear or something else, we end up making decisions that go against the greater wisdom of loyalty to God, despite how things might look on the surface. We tend to fear our circumstances so much because we don't have enough fear for God. Fearing God comes down to having the right posture before him. He wants to live in fellowship with us. 
He wants to guide us. But we have to have the right perspective about it all. The fear of the Lord is very, it's a very practical thing. It's not just a feeling. It's something that will result in a transformed life. I've heard it said that information without transformation is hallucination. Let me tell you, I know a lot of Christians that are hallucinating. Like they have a lot of information and there's not a lot of transformation. Many Christians say like, oh, well, like, hey, I love God. I fear God. I'm like, well, do you actually? Because I don't see you obeying much. Like, because that's hallucination to say I love you, but not obey you. We have to have a life transformation. We have to have a relationship with the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms us. When you fear God, you should obey God. One in four times that the fear of the Lord is used in scripture, it's in connection to our obedience. 25% of the time, it's about our obedience. The fear of God It's not at odds with us loving God. It's not. Having a healthy reverence and awe having a fear for the Lord that's what Solomon says life is all about. Solomon says that when you fear God you will keep his word. You will follow his instructions. You will keep his commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 5, 29, Moses wrote, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all of my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Moses is writing for God here. And some of you are in a season of life right now where you're thinking more than the rest of us, about passing on your inheritance to the next generation, passing on a legacy. But what do you do with the time that you have left to you? How you live, how you fear the Lord, that should be the most concerning thing for each one of us. Leaving behind a life of fearing God and keeping his commandments, that's the best inheritance you can give your next generation. That's the best thing that you can leave your children is a testimony of faithfulness, of fearing the Lord and being in relationship with him. That's what Moses taught the Israelites. That's what God's word teaches us. That's what Solomon says. He says, fear God. Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Surprised none of you are snickering when I said duty. Good. Because it's actually an unfortunate, uh, it's an unfortunate word to add to this because it's not there in the Hebrew. There's no duty in the Hebrew. It simply would read, it simply should read, fear God Keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. That's it. That's the whole of your life. That's the whole of our existence. This is not just your duty. 
but it's also your delight. You can delight in it. That's your direction and it's your destiny and it's joyful, it's good. It's good that you would learn to have a reverential relationship with the Lord. So Solomon says, after all of this, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So fear him because he will bring everything into judgment. He knows everything that's done in the dark. You were born to fear God, but you weren't born fearing God. You were actually born with a propensity to run from God. You were born with a proclivity to dishonor God, to exchange his glory for the glory of all creation. And in Romans chapter three, verse 18, Paul quotes Psalm 36, and he describes all people that in our natural state, uh, he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So before you experience the grace of God, before you come to know Jesus, there is no fear of God before your eyes. The fear of God is what he puts into your heart. When you come to him, Jeremiah 32, 39 tells us, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. You don't fear God, but in his infinite grace, he reaches down, he reaches out to you and he gives you a heart that now fears him. In that fear of the Lord, you are now capable of building a relationship with Jesus Christ, your Lord. And in that relationship, you can find fulfillment in this life. Ecclesiastes is an honest evaluation of finding fulfillment in life under the sun. And with the conclusion that really it gives us the principle that we need to know for this morning, that real life begins with a life lived in relationship with the Son of God. We need to take this advice from God that he gave to us through the pensive uh, musings of Solomon. We need to take this seriously. We need to love and obey God while we are still young enough to enjoy our life. While we are still young enough to receive the blessing for doing so. Solomon, he points out this fact several times in Ecclesiastes that the day is coming where you're gonna grow old and you're gonna be tired. Some of you are like, yes and amen. The day is coming when your eyesight will fail you. That you may be even afraid to leave your house because you're too old to defend yourself. Like Solomon makes that point very clear throughout this book. That's why he says, don't take your righteousness too seriously. And he tells us to follow the instructions that he gives us in, uh, like in Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verse seven, he says, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not 
oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in the grave to which you are going. You're all gonna die. Enjoy life while you can. Don't take yourself too seriously. Solomon's saying, work hard. Work hard in this life and love well. Embrace life with gratitude. This will lead to your enjoyment of it. You show reverence to God as you live a life that fears the Lord through your relationship with him. He will give you a proper perspective on life and then you'll be able to see the gifts he has brought into your life. Like a wife or a husband for you ladies. You know what? Even though your job drives you crazy sometimes, it's also a gift from the Lord because it provides you with money. And your children are a great blessing from the Lord and they are gifts from the Lord. The Lord wants you to take care of these things. He wants you to steward all of these gifts well. But he wants you to enjoy them. When we try to take for ourselves, like Adam and Eve did in the garden, when we try to take control of our own life and find meaning apart from God, all of these gifts that are God-given, they leave us feeling empty because they were never meant to satisfy us. They were meant to be a blessing to us. They were meant to help us enjoy life. We find fulfillment in him. But if we find a right, reconciled, reverential relationship in the Lord, all of these gifts will be given to you and he intends for you to enjoy them. The enjoyment of life is a gift from God. Now, pleasure for pleasure's sake provides no value. A life of wealth and possessions, it it does nothing to guarantee your happiness. Overindulgence in the good things that God has provided in this life, misplaced reverence and adoration in created things, that's sinful. Don't do it. All of that is sinful. But ultimately, Solomon is calling us to enjoy life. If you live life with God, you can enjoy all of those things and you should guard that enjoyment. Don't live in self-indulgence, but you are encouraged to live it up while being content in the relationship that you have with the Lord, while recognizing that God is ultimately supreme and we have human limitations. Guys, Solomon might be hard for you to understand similarly to how Paul was hard for Peter to understand. So I'm gonna tell you very plainly, uh, your wife's birthday, Valentine's Day, Larry, over here, your anniversary, that's not enough, guys. Listen, this is biblical, and if you don't do this, you're in sin, okay? I don't tell you that very harshly that often, but I'm serious. Do this with regularity in your life. Put a date on the calendar, circle it, put some money aside, send your wife to go buy some nice clothes, 
Get a babysitter if you need one. Pete's and Gina are great babysitters. I, I love that they love being with our kids and just being like grandparents in there. It's awesome. Even though Gina's not old enough to be a grandparent. No, get dressed up and go spend some money on your wife. Amen. Go find something fun to do together. She loves it when I do this. Like, I'm not just saying this so I get like brownie points. I do this with regularity in our life because we need that and because life is not fun if you're just working all the time and taking your righteousness too seriously. Like you need to go and enjoy the things that God has given us in this life to enjoy because we don't get to enjoy this after this life. We are not given in marriage in heaven. There's always gonna be work to do. Don't take your righteousness too seriously. There is enough trouble for this day, right? Make a plan. Go have lunch with a friend. Enjoy the wife of your youth. Take your kids and go buy some ice cream after service. Go have some fun. You know, last month, for no reason at all, other than I just wanted to enjoy time with my wife and kids and bless them. I spent some money, got a couple nights in a hotel in Anchorage with a pool. Rural Alaskan kids love going to Anchorage and going and playing in the pool. I spent a bunch of money on pizza and ice cream and fresh fruit because fresh fruit is a joy to us who live in Alaska, right? You will be more joyful. You will be more productive and you will be ultimately more fulfilled if you enjoy the gifts God is giving you in a right relationship with him instead of hiding them under a bushel or storing them up for only the most pious of occasions. Like break out the fine china and use it because you're gonna die and never get to use it, okay? Don't pursue adding meaning to your life. Don't, don't even pursue serving God's kingdom apart from a right relationship with him, apart from a reverential relationship with him. Don't do these things without the fear of the Lord. If you pursue the fear of the Lord, if you are rooted in your relationship with Jesus, blessings are going to flow from that. Meaning that for our lives, they will be filled with meaning and purpose and pleasure in relationship with him when we properly fear the Lord, when we live in the right and reconciled reverential relationship that God calls us to have with him. The Lord... Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, the world, all its pleasures, all, its all, all the pursuits of this world, they cannot add any meaning to your life. They cannot fill you. The praise, uh, the treasure, it's all gonna fade. It's never gonna be enough. But in relationship with God, with the fear of the Lord, you can be restored. He will satisfy nothing better than a life lived abiding in Christ. Let's stand and let's worship the Lord together this morning.